0: Hello listeners! You may remember a series of short episodes with excerpts from my novel A Tumbling Down. Well, I am pleased to say that the novel is now published. You can hop right over to Amazon or Thornbush Press to have a look or follow the links in the show notes. Now, I know you listen to Queen of the Sciences for theology, not fiction, but I assure you this work of fiction is absolutely saturated with theology. So if you enjoy a good, meaty novel with strong characters, a compelling plot, and the kind of rich and nuanced theology that only comes of real life suffering and triumph, then I promise you, you're going to love this book. You'll also love it if you've ever endured congregational shenanigans, or clueless authorities, or treacherous colleagues, or unpredictable relatives, or all the ways our hearts and minds don't do what we want them to, and the endless ironies of life. Or, simply, if, like me, you wish there were more stories about what it's actually like to be a pastor, a pastor's family, or a church, and not the Hollywood and tabloid versions thereof. What follows is an excerpt of the audiobook. Once again, links in the show notes. This scene takes place in the fourth chapter and takes you right into the monthly council meeting of Mount Moriah Lutheran Church in Shibboleth, New York. Happy listening, and if you enjoy it, please get your own copy of A Tumbling Down in ebook, paperback, hardcover, or, of course, audio. Whether it was the genetic factor of descending from a line of so many pastors, or the impact of his environment in youth, or the interplay of both, the plain truth was that Donald loved the pastorate. He loved the olivewood box, given him by his teary mother on the day of his ordination, Made in the Holy Land and carved with niches to hold a little bottle of wine, a stack of wafers in a plastic container to keep them from going soggy or stale, and five solid bronze shot-glasses stacked inside each other for the sake of a holy communion consecrated at a deathbed or shut inside. Donald loved the odor of the church basement of every church basement, so universal and transdenominational that it ought to rank right up there with one holy Catholic and apostolic as a mark of the church. He loved the twitch and occasional squawk of outrage from a baby undergoing baptism. We sure drowned the old Adam out of that one, Donald never failed to quip, in part to mask the glee he still felt at applying the sacrament to one too small to make a verbal confession of faith. He loved the look of surprise on parishioners' faces after struggling through a hard passage of Scripture and arriving at a wisdom they didn't know they had. He loved the warm welcome he could extend to a guilty penitent, slinking back to church after a bender of self-destructive sin and expecting a hot handful of shame from the righteous. He loved parsing Greek. He loved reading Casimon. He loved the laying on of hands to welcome confirmands and ordinands into their anointed states. Truth be told, he loved even his desperate and inconclusive mental arguments with his dead grandfather. But Donald did not love church council meetings. Lord knows he'd tried, tried to turn it into a teaching opportunity, a chance to form lay leaders. The result was that Dale Meyer, a dairy farmer put out of business by the regulators in Albany, according to an initiative that Donald couldn't quite wrap his out-of-state mind around, had still not forgiven the pastor— for asking him at the outset of his very first council meeting at Mount Moriah to pray. "'Ain't that what we're paying you for?' Dale barked. Donald, chastened, replied with an immediate and soothing, "'Let us pray.' He'd tried to authorize subcommittees to make their own decisions on their own time. He'd tried to pace the meetings with a timer. Finally, a few months back, Donald gave up and appealed to baser instincts. Homemade dessert, prepared by his wife— and announced at an agreed-upon hour by his daughter, was the one and only strategy that could rein council meetings in to a reasonable duration. "'Just a quick update on the columbarium, and then we can finally bring Mrs. Feuerlein in to talk about her idea,' announced Donald. "'I'm not sure we should be so quick about it,' said George Pole, the treasurer. "'I got time,' added Dale Meyer. Beneath it everyone could hear his rippling resentment at the lack of cows to milk in the evenings.' These days, he was reduced to driving for social services, carting around juvenile delinquents to privileges they don't deserve, as he put it. Let's hear from Sandra first, Donald said. Eunice Tyson, staring at Sandra, posed her pencil over her stenographer's pad. Stemming from one of the German families that came to Olutakli County via Brazil, Eunice had, in her late teens, married a rising Dutch-reformed sofa salesman, after raising their children according to her husband's wishes at Second Reformed Church of Shibboleth, a knot of dissenting Scotsmen got to town first and staked their claim on First Reformed Church of Shibboleth. Proposals for Atonement Reformed and Prudence Reformed and Fidelity Reformed got rejected as too Baptist, too Unitarian, and two Banker respectively, so Second Reformed it was. Eunice resigned from the register and repatriated to Mount Moriah, where she considered taking and transcribing the minutes, appropriate penitence for her long sojourn among the tulipers. Sandra Forad glanced over at Eunice. Well, I've heard from the company, was immediately transmuted into the scratchy sound of pencil on paper, a graphite Morse code. Sandra pressed on. And yes, the delivery is delayed a bit, but they assure me it'll be here by the end of October in good time to dedicate on All Saints. This is the third time now they've delayed, said Dale, a guttural flapping of phlegm at the back of his throat. They promise me it'll be the last, Sandra said. Al Beck always made a point of sounding more reasonable than Dale Meyer, even if he privately agreed with him. The thing is, Al said in an amicable tone, we already laid down that concrete foundation six weeks ago. It's just going to keep on absorbing damp. If we don't get the columbarium on top of it and secured in place before it freezes hard, well then... He stopped, waving a hand toward the window, which suggested the retribution of the unforgiving elements, if not, strictly speaking, the divine. "'Not to mention all the work we've done for this party!' interjected Jackie Holocombe. She was a single mother of three teen boys. Her black bangs marched with hair-sprayed rigidity around the perimeter of her forehead. The rest of her mane was streaked with white blonde and a touch of green. She wore big sparkly earrings, a tight T-shirt with an Iron Maiden logo, and an incongruously delicate gold cross on a gold chain that she'd gotten for her confirmation and, she swore, had worn every day since. This was her first term on council, and she still couldn't believe the confidence the church people had placed in her. The All Saints Party was her baby, and she was not going to let anything mess it up—concrete, columbarium, or Satan himself. "'I explained all that to them, and they understand, really they do,' said Sandra. "'They're in the burial business,' They know how people feel about All Saints. Who else cares about it? challenged Dale. We never done it when I was a kid. Catholics do, said Eunice, sniffing as if in detection of something disagreeable on the bottom of her shoe. They have a huge columbarium, three whole panels front and back and all of them full. Their cemetery is just across the way from Second Reformed, you know, she added, as if the other parishioners at Mount Moriah might draw the wrong conclusion from her insider knowledge of Catholicism. I know, because they always have so many candles on Halloween, and the children thought it was for trick-or-treating, but no, they're lit for the dead to get them out of hell. Purgatory, said Donald. I care about it, interjected Sandra. Alan and I have been holding on to his mother's ashes for almost three years now. We've been counting on being able to put her to rest at last this All Saints, and I, for one, let the company know that. So we're doing Catholic stuff now, is that it? pressed Dale. Like you in your white robe? This remark was directed at the pastor, who had defied every single one of his predecessor pastors with his choice of vestments. No, we're just remembering our roots, said Donald. Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the Eve of All Saints, which is to say, Halloween, hallowed evening. We forgot about that for a few generations, but now we're back on track. Humph, said Dale. I liked remembering the dead on New Year's Eve better. "'It doesn't matter one bit if it's trick-or-treat or or April Fool's, "'because the real issue here is that we haven't paid for that columbarium yet,' George declared. "'We're halfway there with the special fund,' said Sandra. "'Halfway isn't home, as any umpire will tell you,' he retorted. "'As it is, we have trouble paying the bills, "'and you know this roof is going to need replacing soon. "'We should have done it before winter. "'I'm up there messing with shingles almost every Sunday.' "'You're too old to be climbing up that ladder,' piped up Hazel Quinn. "'Cost too much to hire a roofer,' George plowed on. "'It was a dumb thing to do, buying that columbarium, "'when we knew full well we couldn't pay for it.' He turned the full force of his treasurer's glare on Donald. "'You feel dismayed about the budget shortfall, don't you, George?' said Donald. "'I ain't talking about how I feel. "'I'm talking about money which ain't got no feelings at all,' snapped George." The pastor was always saying things like, "'You must feel very strongly about that,' or, "'This means a lot to you, I can tell,' as if they hired him to parrot back their perfectly obvious reactions to things. Paying the bills was surely a more useful skill for a pastor to have than saying things like, "'Gee, Bob, you sure must feel sad that your mother got hit by a bus last week.'" "'Getting buried in God's good earth,' declared Dale Meyer, "'was good enough for my parents and my grandparents.' "'It's good enough for me, too. "'I never did like the idea of this thing, and I won't be boxed up in it.' "'You were happy enough to volunteer to lay the concrete for it,' "'remarked Marilyn Gross in a studiously neutral voice. "'She was not very fond of Sandra Forad, "'but she was even less fond of Dale Meyer. "'As far as she was concerned, he was nothing but a bully. "'I does what needs to get done,' said Dale haughtily. "'He couldn't stand Marilyn's passive-aggressive nips at the ankle.' What I want to know is, said Hazel in a quavery tone, are you really sure the Lord will be able to raise us up on the last day if we get all burned up to ashes? You grew up on a farm, Hazel Quinn, said Dale, and you know as well as anybody that things buried in the ground turn to wormy mush, no more or less like a body than a pile of ashes is. Which side are you on? asked Jackie in genuine bewilderment. "'I don't like the thing, but what I'm saying is "'if Jesus can make a new body out of skeletons "'and sailors lost at sea "'and soldiers blowed up by mines, "'he can do it just as well out of a handful of ashes in an urn.' "'Well said,' remarked Donald. "'I just don't know,' fretted Hazel. "'I just don't think I'll have it done to me.' "'You don't have to,' said Sandra. "'She patted Hazel's hand. "'Look, nobody has to use the thing. "'It's fine to go on being buried in the cemetery. "'It's not like we're going to run out of room.' But the columbarium is a very nice choice for families that can't afford a big headstone, so it's friendly toward the poor. Sandra failed to notice the look of universal astonishment on the faces around her. She may have thought some of them counted among the poor, but they certainly didn't think of themselves that way. And it's also good for the environment. I thought burning stuff made more acid rain, interrupted Dale. That's why they tell us now we shouldn't burn our garbage no more. "'Crematoria burn extremely clean,' explained Sandra in a patient tone. "'Plus, human bodies are absolutely full of toxic chemicals. Returning them to the earth is the same as poisoning the earth. This way, our loved ones are remembered and kept forever, but without damaging Mother Nature.' "'Hippie talk,' muttered Marilyn under her breath. "'Tell you the truth, I'm not sure I'd want to be locked up in one of these little squares neither,' said Jackie." "'gazing at the brochure from the columbarium company. "'Like a good student, she kept every piece of paper she got at council "'and brought the whole collection with her to every meeting. "'She may not have mastered marriage or the pill, "'but she was going to show them that she was equal to the task of council member. "'But if somebody else wants to, it's fine by me. "'I think it's nice to give people a choice.' "'What's done is done,' said Donald. "'The columbarium will arrive within the next two weeks,' We'll install it and consecrate it. We'll raise the money and pay it off. Those who want to be cremated and placed in a niche can do that, and those who want to be buried in the ground can do that. The good Lord will look after us either way. He smiled on the assembly. Dale shrugged. George scowled. Sandra returned his smile openly. They let the people say their peace, she thought triumphantly, but in the end the two of us held the line. We'll enlighten these old farmers whether they like it or not. Now, let's bring in poor Mrs. Feuerlein, who's been waiting for so long, said Donald. Eunice went to fetch her from the sanctuary upstairs, where she'd been sitting for two hours and praying for everyone she could think of, in German, as she often explained, because even after all these years in America, two things I still do in German, I count and I pray. Sorry to keep you waiting, Sabina, said Donald. We had to take care of old business first. But why don't you share your idea with the council now? I think everybody's going to be really excited about it. Dale and George exchanged glances. If the pastor liked it, then it was going to happen. It was also going to be expensive. Mrs. Feuerlein had only just settled herself into the folding chair and propped up her voluminous purse on the table when a sound like a bowling pin on an escalator made everyone's head turn. It was Kitty, banging down on each step as hard as she could, when she hit the bottom, she turned a magnificent cartwheel, ending in a split, threw her arms in the air, and bellowed, "'Apple crisp!' the council members applauded. She stood and made an extravagant bow. "'Mommy just took the last one out of the oven, and they all smell amazing!' she said. "'Come on!' "'Well, I am not one to stand in the way of apple crisp,' said Mrs. Feuerlein merrily. "'I can talk as well this dessert as vis out.' "'Let's go, then,' said Donald. As the council trooped into the parsonage, they heard before they saw Asher and Saul bouncing on the sofa in tandem, shrieking, "'Apple Crisp!' with a passion equal to their sisters. The moment Asher laid eyes on Mrs. Foyerline, he landed on the sofa on his bottom instead of his feet, bounced forward, hit the ground running, threw his arms around her in a hug, and whispered, "'Did you bring me lifesavers?' "'Of course!' Said Mrs. Foyerline, clawing around in her purse, "I'll share with my brother. He can have the green ones." Asher chortled, "I don't want the green ones. I hate the green ones!" Wailed Saul. "No green in this kind," said Mrs. Foyerline. "Butter rum," she announced in a tone of high mystery, as if she were a sibylline oracle of confectionery, "and one for each of you." At this, Saul also saw fit to grace the old lady with a hug. Once the living room was fully occupied by the council members, swathed in a fragrant fog of apple crisp, Donald attempted to give Mrs. Feuerlein the floor, but she said, Oh, it's late and I'm tired. You already know what I have in mind. You tell them for me. She turned to her streusel with zealous attention. All right, chuckled Donald. He proceeded to recall to mind that their very own Sabina Feuerlein was not one of the Brazil families, but had escaped the communist secret police of her native East Germany in 1956. She'd been on vacation in Budapest. Where's that? whispered Dale. Romania, I think, replied George with a shrug of disinterest. All commies were the same. And taken advantage of the brief window of liberalization to cross the border before the Soviet troops stepped in. Never married, not much more than a decade away from retirement, she made the abrupt decision to leave everything behind—parents, siblings, friends, native tongue, apartment clothes—in fact, everything that she hadn't packed for her vacation. While waiting to receive her final papers guaranteeing asylum in America, she took a job at a German dry cleaners on Long Island. Once legal and just shy of 60, she married Gerhard Feuerlein, owner of the dry cleaners. They retired to Shibboleth because he'd had enough of the city, and the hills reminded her of the Erzgebirge back home. It was a short but sweet marriage. After she buried him, in the cemetery of Mount Moriah, of course, she decided it was time to re-establish relations with her relations. It was slow going at first. Every letter was read and censored by the regime, and some never made it through at all. But things were changing. Lately they'd allowed packages, even. She sent blue jeans and perfume to her nieces and nephews' children and grandchildren. Bit by bit, they filled her in on all the news of the townsfolk and extended family. As it turned out, her great-nephew Fritz was a pastor now and had a church in a village not far from where she'd grown up. Now this is where it gets interesting, said Donald. The communist government was trying to prove its open-mindedness by allowing a modest number of visas for pastoral exchange between East Germany and the United States. Fritz had written to ask Sabina if she thought her church would be willing to host him for two weeks. To visit, not to stay, he made very clear in the letter, adding some unnecessary sentences about his admiration for his fatherland. Mrs. Feuerlein knew perfectly well this was for the censors, who might have doubts about his motive in paying a visit to his defector great-aunt in America. At this point, Mrs. Feuerlein took up the thread. Fritz sounds to me like a very good and honorable man, taking on this kind of calling from God in a place where no respect is given to it. He has never been out of the Eastern Bloc in his whole life, and it would be such a treat for him. I think it would be a treat for the congregation too, because you could ask him what it really is like behind that iron curtain. And here in America, Fritz can speak freely. "'Fritz,' said Dale Meyer, around a mouthful of apple crisp. "'That's what the Limeys called the Krauts during the war. Never liked it, to tell you the truth. My old man's name was Fritz. You never met a truer American than him, no matter how thick that accent was.' "'My ma said they teased her merciless,' chimed in Albeck. She learned fast to sound American. Wouldn't say a word of German to us when we were kids, even though the family kept it going all those generations in Brazil. The war put an end to that for sure.' Didn't matter that none of our family was ever in Germany since 1850-something. As far as they were concerned, a kraut was a kraut. Mrs. Feuerlein flushed and quivered. My great-nephew is no Nazi, and today he is courageously standing up to an oppressive government. Oh, my, you know we ain't saying nothing against him, crooned Dale with unexpected tenderness. Weren't we just saying how we hated being taken for krauts just because we're German by blood? I'm sure your Fritz is a good man. Anybody sticking up for God among all them communists must be a good man. Let's have him on over. George Pole's mouth hung open; apple balanced precariously on his tongue, at Dale's effortless acquiescence to who knew what expense. I never met anybody from a foreign country before," said Jackie, eyes shining. Hazel said, "Bonnie is from Canada." I think it's a fine idea," said Sandra as long as it doesn't interfere with paying off the columbarium. We'll need to see a budget, blustered George, finding his voice at last. Eunice announced, I've got plenty of room in my house if he needs a place to stay. Ach, he will stay with me, said Mrs. Foyerline. Sure, he can spend the night with you, but he'll want to visit around, see how real Americans live, said Albeck. Not to say you aren't, he added quickly. I bet we can arrange for him to have dinner with a different family every night. We can take him to see all the sights, said Jackie. The corn and Works, Niagara Falls, the races in Saratoga Springs. But maybe communist pastors don't like to bet. He is no communist, insisted Mrs. Feuerlein. I think it's a winning plan, Sabina, said Donald. Wonderful, she said, just like this apple crisp. Now it is ve past my bedtime. I am sorry to break up the party, but someone should take me home to sleep. I still don't know why you wouldn't let me drive here myself. Because your head don't poke above the dashboard, Oma, said Dale.